Um, so there's a guy named Joe Rogan has a, po- a podcast, and uh, he did a, a Saturday uh, podcast while we were here, and uh, uh, I was watching it on YouTube, and uh, by the time at the time I left. There were 109,000 people watching. I think we can do better. Yep. That's, I mean, that's easily attainable. Doesn't seem that big of a deal. Coming to you live on tape. It's the next, uh, the latest edition of the Psychic Derailer podcast. And uh, it's only, it seems only right that since we are uh, broadcasting, taping, from Tinker HQ that we today have Steve Hall. Hello. Of Tinker. Co-owner? Yeah. Co-founder? Yeah. Yeah, Jeff and I, we're, we're it. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say we're it. We're, we're two of the well, cogs, but... Right. Yeah, we started it. <laughs> Pretty big cogs, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. Can, can the building be heretofore known as the Java Dome? I don't like the word Java. But we can we can work on it. We can workshop it. <laughs> <laughs> Java just seems like it's like from the eighties, you know. Well, I'm from, from the eighties. <laughs> so yeah, you're showing your true colors. The Java Dome. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. So you know, the, I started buying coffee for for uh, another business that I had. And um, I didn't really know much about coffee. I, I still don't know a lot about coffee. Um, but I remember I I blasted something out on Twitter before Twitter became a total dumpster fire and just said I was looking for... I don't know if I use the word coffee sponsor. I may have because I just couldn't come up with a better word. And I, but I, I tried to make it apparent that I wasn't looking for handouts. I was just looking. I wanted to make better coffee in the store. And two people responded immediately. You were one. The difference was you got in your car and brought coffee to the store. Mm-hmm. And, you know... That was four years ago. Yeah, you were there, one of the first. Thereabouts. And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, if you really want to talk about the butterfly effect, I mean, if it were not for that tweet, would we be sitting here today? Now, the course of human history would have been altered or was altered. Dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. So I still don't know much about coffee. Um, but I was astonished at this, that this was a thing. I mean, yes, everything when you dig down far enough is a thing, but I had no idea that there were, that there was one group of people or one company roasting coffee in the city of Indianapolis, much less several. Mm -hmm. So... How did it happen? It all started with Jeff. So, <laughs> um, because like you, when I was in college and before, you know, I would drink, I would drink coffee, but I didn't think all that 
much about it. You know, I, I would drink uh, red eyes in college. I thought that was kind of the pinnacle was, you know, coffee and espresso. So just a shot of espresso and a regular drip coffee. No. That was like my jam. Cause I just, I just, you know, it was caffeine delivery for me, um, you know, back in 2006. Um, but, uh, as I got to, you know, I started dating my now wife and got to meet her sisters and her family and their husbands and everybody. Um, Jeff, who is married to my wife's sister would come around and bring really interesting coffee and make coffee for people and started to introduce me to this whole new world of specialty coffee, you know, really kind of the fancy stuff. And, um, he, in his travels, he, he had been working for IBM, traveling around the world and, and seeing all these great places with cool coffee. He, um, he read this book called God in a cup that, um, is really, it's, it's pretty instructive in like our understanding of coffee and in our kind of inspiration for coffee. So he read this book and he loved it and he was like, you got to read it. It's so interesting. And then I read it and, um, kind of caught the bug after that. And from that point, we really started talking more about like, okay, why, why isn't anybody doing coffee the way that Intelligentsia, Stumptown, Counterculture, all these, you know, big time, especially coffee roasters. Why isn't anybody doing that in Indy? You know, we deserve better. Right. You know, we're not some flyover town. Um, and, and, you know, we, we had also seen just the way craft beer had taken off. We we're like, well, I think once people get an understanding and an appreciation for this kind of heightened experience in coffee, they'll take to it. And so we just said, screw it. Let's, you know, quit our jobs. Let's go full-time into coffee and start a coffee roasting business. So that's what we did. We felt confident that, you know, as I said, with craft beer kind of going the way it had, we felt confident that if someone could do coffee right in town, then it would be embraced. And I think it's been cool to see that kind of play out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So he was working for IBM and you were... I was working for a company called One Click Ventures down in Greenwood. Uh, it was a company that um, would basically, uh, they had established a few brands themselves, but generally at the time they were looking for small businesses that um, you know had developed a decent revenue base online and would acquire those businesses and then kind of apply what we would call like a marketing engine to them, kind of take these, you know, small companies that were being run by people maybe out of their garage or, you know, at home. Um, we would acquire the business and then turbocharge them, make them really strong e-commerce businesses. So I was working as the um, kind of customer acquisition director um, for for that company for a while. And um, it was it was a really great learning experience. I learned a ton about marketing. I wasn't as fulfilled in the um, kind of the goal of just selling more stuff. Right. You know that didn't that didn't do it for me, um, or didn't it didn't fill my bucket. So I uh, I, I was kind of longing for a, a, a company or a business to kind of really feel a hundred percent like I was I was making a difference in some former fashion or you know i was selling something that i really felt um proud of so it would sure just lined up really well what's the timeline between he gives you this book you start talking about it and you buy the trusty old probat and and move into 16th and delaware it 
probably started like we had talked about doing something together probably in 2013, maybe like late 2013. Uh, in 2014, that's when things really started to coalesce a little bit. So maybe like in February of 2014 is when things started to really kick off. I think that's when we got the building uh, or when at least we looked at the, the old building and then um, started to get the roaster up and running memory serves around like March or April of 2014. So really not a tremendous amount of time considering neither one of you really had much experience sourcing or roasting beans. No. Yeah. Once, once the idea was like formed, it was like, what, let's Let's, do it. We're going to do it. We're going in. Yep. So the, the big time difference was from, you know, getting the roaster installed to actually saying, now we're open. You know, I, that's when the big time. And I think that that's, I mean, from my experience, if you don't, if you sit there and dwell, it may never happen. Mm-hmm. You just, if you decide you're going to do this, you just have to put your head down and do it. I have mm-hmm. had, I don't know how many, you know, young people, finger quotes, young people ask me about owning a bike shop. And I just looked at him and I said, well, here's what I can tell you. It's really good that I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because if I had, I don't know that I would have done it. Right. So you, there is a, there's a certain, um, you know, beauty in that ignorance that you just, you forge ahead and, and you, you know, the things that pop up, you just kind of handle them. Yep, and then the next thing you know, it's it's all just. Then there's just other things, <laughs> right? Um, so then, how do you? So there has to be some challenges because all this stuff's coming from other countries, mm-hmm. right? You're you're getting massive amounts of what I don't know. Do they consider? It's not. Is it produce? Is it a commodity? From trading places, I coffee was a commodity <laughs> yeah. in trading places. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, thankfully for us, we don't have a ton of logistical work that we have to do getting the coffee in the country. You know, um, at, at our stage now, we work with four or five different importers that manage that whole process, and really, all we have to do is focus on identifying the coffees with our importers that we're interested in buying and sampling those coffees and making sure we can roast them well. Um, so yeah, I mean, from, from the importer standpoint, there's a, there's a lot, you know, there's, um, there are a lot of challenges, a making sure that quality stays consistent from harvest to processing, to bagging, storing, shipping, you know, all those little elements, things can go wrong. Um, you know, certainly there are challenges in terms of the financing of the coffee, making sure that you're working with importers that are paying the farmers well and quickly, you know, not putting undue financial hardship on the people that are really doing a lot of the hard work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for roasters, I, I hate to say we have it easy, but we, we certainly, you know, get to um, get to rely on the expertise of other people along the supply chain, which is very helpful. Yeah, I mean, logistically, there has to be, there have to be, or there have to have been at some point some some roadblocks as far as you know, 
you got to deal with, I'm sure, like the FDA and customs and all that jazz. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have to deal with any of that. You just They've already got that worked out, and it just kind of gets rolled into the the price of the product. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, once once we get our hands on it, there's not a lot that can, there's a lot that can go wrong in terms of flavor. Um, sure. But, you know, it's uh it's a coffee is a pretty stable product. You know, you're getting it, you're, you're roasting it, you're getting it hot. Um, but as far as importing into the country goes, yeah, there's a, there are things that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. but ultimately <laughs> you don't not, you not only don't have to deal with, but you don't really have any control over it either. Right. In some senses. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the, I guess where we do have control is if, um, there are a few coffees that we've purchased every year that we've been in business, you know, certain lots from certain farms. Um, we have a really great Guatemalan coffee from Finca Santa Isabel that we've purchased every year. So every year when those samples start to arrive, when, you know, the coffee's getting ready to be exported, we get to try the sample and just say like, yep, this coffee is as great as it was last year or even better. Or, you know, maybe it's got a little bit different flavor profile, but we still love it we get the chance to try it uh, kind of all along the, the way to make sure that the quality is where we expect it to be. Uh, because a lot of the coffees that we buy are basically done on like a futures contract. So we'll say, you know, we want, let's say it's 30 bags of a particular coffee. Um, we'll have a contract in place and then we'll get those checkpoints so that, you know, we coffee's being managed and, and handled the way we expect it to be. And if at any point it isn't, then we reserve the right to say something happened, you know, coffee got wet on the boat, something went wrong and it's not what we expect it to be anymore. And we have to cancel the contract. You know, it's, I mean, that's something that I don't think I ever thought of is that you're not dealing with a, it's not a widget, right? That just gets popped out of a machine. That's the same, you know, widget number one is the same as widget number 7,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, it was at one point, at least the fruit of a living thing. So that thing can change and one bean one year may not be the same as the bean the next year. Right. I never thought of that. Yeah. It's That's agricultural crazy. product. It's, I mean, it's, you, you know, there was, uh, depending on how much rain the country gets, you know, right. it can affect anything. Yeah. Cause I'm just used to seeing you know, one stage of the end result, either the whole bean, which has already been roasted or the ground up stuff that you're pouring water over. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Wow. It can be complicated. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that can go wrong at every stage. So how has your process changed? Cause it has to have changed right Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. Well, at first what we were doing is buying a lot of coffee spot which means we were buying coffee that was at a warehouse of our importer. We tried it. We said, great, this is good. Let's have that. You know, we would just buy a few bags at a time uh, of spot coffee. And that's great. You know, there's there's lots of great spot coffee available. We still buy a few coffees spot. But um, uh, as we've gotten older, you know, as we've gotten more um, more savvy in the process, we, we've started doing more of that contracted coffee. You know, there's... Um, a good example is a comp or a importer that we work with in Ethiopia called Catalyst, and um, you know they export small enough lots from 
smaller producers in Ethiopia that in theory, if we really loved a particular coffee, we could buy all of it, like all of the lot that exists in the world one year. Um, and having the opportunity to have like an exclusive coffee like that, like that's pretty cool. Sure. So, you know, the more you, um, the more you develop relationships with importers, the more, you know, of course we're selling more now than we were four years ago. So that allows us to buy more and that gives you certain advantages with your importers. Um, that changes quite a bit, but at the same time, you also have to be thinking on a longer horizon. Um, you know, we have to be thinking about coffees that, um, we want to have around for a little bit longer and, um, and, and kind of keeping the, the, I don't know, it's not, not the production schedule, but like the green schedule, like knowing when certain coffees are going to arrive in the country, when we want them, how much we want, how much of them we want, how long we expect them to last, you know, those factors change a lot. And, um, and thankfully as we've grown, we've been able to hire people that are super talented and are able to manage those processes along with us. So that's been the biggest thing is hiring people like Dylan and Austin and Alec and Sid and, you know, everyone can kind of chip in in a large way to help things, help the ship keep running smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. And then big things kind of on the horizon, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to start exposing Indianapolis coffee to people from parts other than Indianapolis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, the airport will be sweet. Uh, hopefully we should have uh, one of the airport cafes open by the end of the year, and then another one uh, It's likely to be open in 2020. So that'll be pretty sweet. And, uh, of course, the cafe here at the Java Dome. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be fun. Um, yeah, we've got a really cool concept in mind. I think that's starting to come together pretty well yeah, uh, for the, the cafe here. The people... Uh, coming to the bike shop are very excited about the cafe. Yeah. Very excited. You could potentially come in, you know, make an appointment to have your, your bike tuned up, drop it off, go sit in the cafe, um, and then, you know, take it home with you. What else can you ask for? I, I don't think anything <laughs> quite honestly. Um, so you know, I first, I don't know whether, I don't know whether you brought the coffee. I remember the, you've got, you got into the kind of hip, hip, you know, again, I'm, my age is showing, but, um, the, the trendy restaurants, the new kind of upscale restaurants, you got into those, I think, relatively quickly didn't you i mean the first time i think i ever had your coffee honestly was at milk tooth mm -hmm. um and i think it's also it could possibly be the first time that i ever certainly out in public drank just black coffee um so how did that happen how'd that was that just you again driving your car around town dropping off samples to people no, um, you didn't just do it for that bike shop owners. <laughs> well, that was, um, it was, so my, my career before one click, I was in sales. I was selling wine, uh, in Boston and Chicago. So that whole, like just showing up to somebody's place and saying, Hey, I got this coffee. You want to buy it? Um, I, I felt comfortable doing that, sure. but at the same time, 
we were such a young company and, you know, coffee is one of the questions we get all the time is like, Oh, we'll make, we'll make your coffee different than so-and-so. And it's like, well, everybody can say the same things. Everybody can say, I, I roast the best. I source the best, whatever. Um, ultimately you just need to try it and then you can make the determination on whose coffee's better. Right. So we were, uh, a little bit, I'll say hesitant or we were deliberate in like not getting out there and selling or putting our coffee in front of a lot of people. Um, because we, we kind of wanted to establish a reputation with partners that we could work with closely and then have that reputation almost like pre-sell the coffee from that point forward. So with Milktooth, Milktooth is, um, a, a, you know, it's like anything. It's sometimes not, not what you know, it's who you know, right? Sure. So f- luckily for us, when we were first getting started, like early, early on, Jeff and I were at Thirsty Scholar, sitting at the bar, talking about branding, talking about whatever. And one of the baristas at Thirsty Scholar was this guy, Ross, who is, as luck would have it, Dylan's like best friend. We didn't know Dylan at the time, but we knew Ross a little bit through coffee stuff. So we would talk to Ross about coffee and kind of explain to him what we were doing. And we were right down the street and uh, got to know him and had him out for a cupping, as you've done, to try some of the coffees as we were getting ready to officially launch. You know, we were getting to the point where we felt like we were roasting the coffees pretty well. And just to, not to interrupt, but we're not talking about the heated up glass balls on your on your uh, skin cupping. It's coffee cupping. Yep, smells and tastes. Yeah, of coffee. Yeah, it's when I really <laughs> realize that I don't have a palate. <laughs> you just got to train it. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had him out for a cupping, and he got to try some of the coffees, and it just so happened that at that point, Milktooth was launching. And Ross had been pegged to basically get the coffee program started. Um, mm. I'm not, I don't remember how he got connected to to John and Ashley and kind of the crew at Milktooth, but he was he was starting it. He was starting the program. So you know, thankfully for us, we were just able to talk to him and show that we had a great local product, and we got on the menu at Milktooth, and um, and that certainly helped to build some of that you know, momentum and structure. And, uh, you know, from that point, people like yourself, uh, you know, a lot of people come in and say, Oh yeah, I've had your coffee at milk tooth. I love it. It's great. I want it at my restaurant or, you know, people that worked at milk tooth go off and work at new restaurants. It's kind of like the, right, I always right. use the example, like a coaching tree in football. You know, you hear about these guys coached under Bill Belichick and now they're, you know, they've got the pedigree to go out and do their own thing. And it seems like people in Indy, small enough town that, you know, people work at good restaurants. Um, people move around a lot or a little bit. And um, people that have had experiences with our coffees tend to bring them to whatever location they wind up. So that helps grow too. But yeah, Milk Tooth was, was really just kind of luck. Um, right place, right time, right people. You got to have that. Yep. You got to have that. Um, and so you, you get into the restaurants, the local people start buying your coffee. I would imagine, um, some locals, uh, take coffee out of state, send coffee to friends. And then the next natural progression of course is a subscription service mm-hmm. because I've said it once and I'm going to say it again, 
if I get up on Sunday morning and I reach into the cupboard and there's five bag beans in that bag, I'm not happy. Yeah. Because I forgot to pick up coffee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take the guesswork out of it. Get yourself a, a, a subscription. I cannot speak today. It's Monday. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, while it seems to be a, a, a trend, uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It certainly makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the subscription, everybody's got one. Right. You know? um, and the challenge for us has always been how do we differentiate? Because, yes, it's nice. The convenience is great. The price is great. But the thing we like about ours is the subscriber exclusive coffee. That's really one of the most fun things that we have going. And that's, uh, it takes a lot of work. You know, Austin samples a ton of coffees to try and find that subscriber exclusive coffee every month. But the fact that people that subscribe get to try a coffee that no one else gets to try is pretty, pretty sweet like that. And I believe that if you want to go to tinkercoffee.com and sign up for a subscription, if you use the coupon code bikes, you're going to get 25% off that first month. That sure is. Yep. You got it. Unbelievable. How do you do it? <laughs> How do you do it? Um, you know, it was, it was funny because the first time I came and looked at the building, um, there were some Hispanic gentlemen, because I, par- I did what everybody does, which is I, you park in the side lot, even though there's a big painting on the wall that says parking with an arrow to the back lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some Hispanic gentlemen in the car next to me. Um, and I ended up, you know, walking around and finding my way in and, and we talked and as I was coming out, those guys were in the building and you told me they were actually from a, one of your, the farms that you buy coffee from and they happened to have relatives in Indianapolis and were here visiting. It was like, that was the craziest thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that even in my business, if I, it's always better if you have a, a a relationship with that person that's kind of like just maybe even one level deeper, right? I mean, it just kind of makes things, it works easier. You feel better about what you're doing. So I got to imagine that having that, that kind of connection with a farm you know, has got to make things a little, it gives you another, I'm fascinated and and obsessed with storytelling. And that's just another layer of a story that you can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's one of the coolest things about coffee. I think is the, the ability to have that connection with someone in a place that's far away, you know, in a, in a country that is developing or just in a, in a part of the world that looks very different from, you know, the part of the world that we live in and you get to create those relationships, build those relationships, and then, you know, bring the fruits of someone's labor back to your local economy and then do something with it. Yeah. It's, I I think that's one of the, my favorite things about coffee for sure. So all coffee started and comes from Africa, Mm -hmm. right? Is that correct? That's correct. So your Guatemalan, you know, what have you, those are all just hybrids of that original thing. Mm-hmm. Correct? Mm-hmm. 
So we know Ethiopia, we know Guatemala, we know Honduras, we can, you know, those places. Are there any up and coming countries that maybe weren't known for coffee before, but are going to be known for coffee? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one is China. You're starting to see Chinese really? coffee hit the market. Um, yeah, B B Coffee here in town. They've got a they've got a Chinese coffee. Um, you see a little bit of coffee from India, but India has been around for a while. Um, in in Africa, you're starting to see more coffees or more countries like Burundi, uh, certainly Rwanda, Uganda, some countries that maybe haven't had the the production or the notoriety as your Kenyas and Ethiopias. Um, some of those countries are starting to to do a lot more with coffee. But I think, yeah, probably the biggest one that's, that hasn't um, at least had a, um, a, a foothold in, in coffee for a while is China. Um, one of our importers, uh, Sustainable Harvest, is uh, also doing a lot of work in Myanmar to export coffee and help kind of establish the infrastructure so that the coffee coming out of that country is good enough for people like us to buy. Um, that's the, the, the thing ultimately with us, you know, is that the coffee has to be good in order for us to buy it. So even if there's like a cool story behind a coffee, if it's coming out of China or wherever, it still has to be good. Right. And that's kind of our thing. Um, and I, I think that those countries will, will get there eventually, but it's cool to, you know, they're, they're growing in that way. China's surprising. I guess I, I don't know why. It just, I wouldn't think of. When I think of coffee, I think of, you know, tropical mm-hmm. or somewhere. And I don't, I guess I just don't think of China as tropical. Right. But I guess maybe that's not. Yeah. I mean, it's a big country. Yeah. Um, for sure. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I would love to, to actually cup some Chinese coffees and see like what they remind me of, like see what countries they remind me of. Uh, just to see what the flavor profile is like. I just haven't had enough experience with coffees coming out of that country to know exactly what kind of the... Because, I mean, like wine, you know, there there are certain like right. varietal characteristics and like sure. you were saying, like certain, um, you know, varieties of coffee tree uh, have specific flavor characteristics. So it would be cool to to learn a little bit more about what they're going for as far as flavor profiles go. But, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it, you know, it's I, I guess it's... um. It's a little, I, I struggle with Chinese coffee a little bit because coffee, you know, I'm, the Chinese economy seems pretty, pretty strong, you know, um, and the economies in a lot of the countries that we buy coffee from does not seem right like that. Uh, and, um, coffee can be a pretty big part of, um, I, you know, I, 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 I guess I, I'd be curious to know how what what the impact of coffee is on a lot of the countries that we buy coffee from? You know, like what what percentage of the Guatemalan economy is driven by coffee growing? I don't I don't know that. Yeah, I would, that, uh, yeah. That, well, it was just a question I was going to ask: is you know, what is that when something like that happens? What does that do to a, a a local economy? You know, not necessarily the 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 economy of the country, although it certainly would have an effect on that. But I would I was more interested in the actual the local economy, mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, that would be an interesting thing to find out. Yeah. Like when you go from, from like, uh, you know, like Rwanda, for example, you know, there's issues obviously mm. there, but when they go from, you know, zero to finally they get this thing up and running and they're exporting, I mean, how does that affect what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it can't be bad. It certainly, you know, it's gotta be, it has to have some positive effect you would think. Yeah. And you know, it also, the opportunity for corruption, you know, for people to skim and things like that certainly exists as, as right. the, as the growth of uh, an industry increases, uh, you know, those opportunities make themselves a little bit more present, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, even with, you know, a, a, an economy like, like China's being much larger than a lot of these countries, as you said, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of rural areas in China, yeah, right. you know, that, that, um, that don't see the benefit of, of, you know, larger cities and, you know, economies that are, you know, massive. So there's still an opportunity for that coffee industry to, to have a really positive impact on places that, that could use it. So what is, you can tell I don't prepare for these things. I'm just kind of usually make it up as I go along. Um, for the people out there that may be sitting there kind of rolling their eyes about hoity toity coffee. Um, and I certainly don't, the issue is not to convert people, but I guess what's the overriding, God, this is going to be a really douchey thing to say. What's the mission statement, right? What's the driving, what's the prime directive here at Tinker? Honestly, the, the biggest driver is to introduce people to specialty coffee to show people how I'll say culinary coffee can be or how interesting it can be. Sure. Um, and educate people on this beverage that, you know, like, like I was describing at the beginning, you know, beverage that most people might still think about just being a, I need coffee in the morning cause it wakes me up, you know, yeah. and like that's fine. But also, you know, helping people understand how, how just interesting this beverage can be and doing it in a way that, uh, that isn't snobby, that isn't uh, pretentious, you know, that's that's interesting, that's fun and educational. I think just um, improving people's education around this beverage that we enjoy most days is our biggest mission, is just showing people how cool this thing is. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out the roastery and you're local, 1125 West 16th Street, Steve or will probably be here. There will certainly be somebody here. You can check out the operation. You can try some coffee um, and see what it's all about. Check out and the like, roastery. Check yeah, out the roastery. Check out the bike shop. Yep. Check out what will be the cafe. And uh, like I said, uh, that subscription service, tinkercoffee.com. Use that coupon code BIKES. You'll get 25% off your first month. Thanks, man. It's a great honor. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'll see you, Owen, probably a minute or two in the other room. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) See you next time, everybody. Thanks.